following program may contain coarse language, suggested dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. What happens when the world's greatest detective meets the world's greatest thief? Elementary, my dear Lupon. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. And I am your host, Kuro. And with me, I have... Editorial writer, Vlor GTZ. And... Another editorial writer, Laser Kid. And as with all Lupon things, this season we have tales of pirate treasure, lost loves, mysterious fossils... Murder in a secret society, something that only the world's greatest gentleman thief could include in, of course, anime format. Lupin the the Third, Part Six, does not fail to deliver on excitement and fun uh, and adventure in the way only our beloved Lupin can do. Uh, But this season we had a a fun mix specifically, as I alluded to, the beginning. Uh, We got to see the introduction of Sherlock Holmes and... It's such a perfect, if you think about it, such a perfect uh, antagonist for someone like Lupin, given, you know, his purported world's greatest thief and the world's greatest detective, as Sherlock Holmes is historically. But there is there is some great background and reference to this being um, used not just in the manga, but in literature as well. So as we've talked about before, both on the podcast and through articles, you know, Lupin being based off of the eponymous Lupin from Maurice LeBlanc's novels, there was in around 1906 a story where Lupin encounters Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Funny enough, because the original author did not consult with Arthur Conan Doyle, who was alive at the time and still writing Sherlock Holmes stories, um, there were some copyright issues with including the actual name of Sherlock Holmes. So the creative and not uncommon way of him dealing with this was to change the name. Uh, what was the name, <laughs> Laser, that he changed it to? <laughs> Herlock Sholmes, which yeah. would get used again in the Ace Attorney video game series. Yeah, super clever. Who would have... Who would have thought? Who, Who is that? that? I don't know. It's, it's clearly not Sherlock Holmes. It's Sherlock Holmes, you guys. It's not the same guy at all. Yeah, so my understanding is that the original author, that LeBlanc was just such a huge fanboy of Sherlock Holmes and the novels. And he really wanted to see his character face off. Not because they had anything in common outside of being uh, both brilliant and having a penchant for drama and disguises. But it felt for him just a natural storytelling element and banking on the popularity of one character and his own character at the turn of the century. And of course, this all happened 100 years ago. So uh, and then, you know, barring the the strange copyright issues, um, it kind of is perfect that they decided to bring in Sherlock Holmes for the anime at this point, because uh, isn't it the 50th anniversary of Lupin the Third? 
Juan, you guys didn't even know it was the 50th anniversary. What is this? You all are terrible I, fans. Get I'm out a, of here. I, Get I'm, out I'm of a, here. I'm a fake Lupin fan. Absolutely <laughs> fake. My, my fan card has been removed. You, I state, yes. You, your fan card has been revoked. <laughs> I guess I will be a prisoner of the past. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it was, I was curious to see, even though it did feel like a natural story progression, like how were they going to incorporate a character from the turn of the century, London, into modern times? I mean, Lupin has adapted quite well, given that he is, you know, supposedly the grandson of the original, according to lore, but also just, you know, if they wanted to have this confrontation, how were they going to incorporate it into the story? And uh, they dealt with that by just not saying how. <laughs> oh, we just kind of, you know, modernized the Sherlock characters. And honestly, for the most part, they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um. He's, I think I think that they they seem to respect each other. Well, I think Lupin respects Sherlock Holmes's skill, but in a way that he keeps him at a distance. And there's an allusion to them having a past history aside from what is specifically spelled out in this storyline. Um, but it is an interesting comparison to his relationship with Zenigata. You know, don't you think? Where this is more of a antagonistic rivalry where Zenigata's I feel like, you know, he lovingly calls him Pops and he he's he's always trying to rope him into his schemes, whereas this one just felt much more aggressive in nature. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Um, although there's a really interesting scene at one point where he's with the person he trusts the most and he's like, oh, Lupin and then he got it. Oh, wait, no, that that's just Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought it made sense if it was Zenigata, but I guess like I, I, I kind of do kind of see that antagonistic like uh, rivalry between Sherlock and Lupin. Though I feel like by the end of the storyline, it becomes much more of a friendly rivalry in yeah. a way. While like say like Lupin and Zenigata is more like they they love the chase of their dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like Zenigata loves chasing Lupin. Lupin loves running away from Zenigata. It's the ultimate bromance. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. I, I, in the original story dating back 100 years ago, the, the relationship between the two characters was them trying to outsmart each other. And that was the only thing, if they had, if they had added one other element to this relationship between the two characters, I would have liked to have seen them have a bit more confrontation um, not physical, but trying to outsmart each other. Given that Lupin is really devious and clever and he plans ahead, and Sherlock Holmes is a master of deductive reasoning, so him being able to deduce, you know, what Lupin's going to do in advance and Lupin trying to outwit him, like, I w- if they had focused a bit more on that, I think that would have played better into what their strengths are as characters. I definitely would agree. I, they did do it a little bit, and where they did, it was really good. But seeing more of it definitely would have been an improvement. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, for those of you who are not familiar necessarily with Sherlock Holmes, um, get out from under the rock you've been under. Sorry, just kidding. But yes, go go read a novel right now. Stop what you're doing. Don't listen to this anymore. Go read Sherlock Holmes, and then come back and finish listening. Um Sherlock Holmes, you know, was written by the famous author, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and some of the staples are his partner Watson, Dr. Watson, and his housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson. 
um, and he utilizes occasionally um, in, in certain certain of these stories uh, the Baker Street Boys or his Irregulars, which are just a series of street urchins who are able to navigate the streets of London and provide him information. And they sort of try to cl- they try to add those elements into the story. Um, it felt a little bit it felt a little cheap to me like look how much like Sherlock Holmes this is see we have all the all the marks of traditional Sherlock Holmes stuff uh, I didn't I didn't think they delivered as well in in trying to incorporate the traditional Holmesian elements into the character background that's just my opinion but I'm curious to know what you thought laser kid um I thought they they did an okay. A, a, a C, actually, honestly, just a straight C in terms of representing what's there, but they they really didn't go into that much detail. Mm-hmm. A- and we'll get into this when we get into this, but there there is one thing that I left me ha- scratching my head quite a bit. Yeah, I'm curious to hear that. Um, well, this isn't actually for for long term. Lupin fans who actually know this is the 50th anniversary, JK, really, um, <laughs> will know that that Holmes has appeared previously in Lupin the Third. Uh, I believe it was in part two. However, he it is was, in part two. Yeah, he was Holmes the Third. Um, Velour, do you want to talk about that since you are a resident Lupin expert as well? Yeah, sure. So. Uh, Sherlock Holmes the Third appears in like two episodes of Lupin the Third Part Two, uh, once in episode fifteen, and then again in episode ninety-seven. And what's weird is that these are two completely different interpretations of Sherlock Holmes. In episode fifteen, kind of the general plot is like uh, there's this kind of rich tycoon that wants like Lupin to try to steal this gem, so he hires a bunch of like super well-known detectives which include like Zenigata and Sherlock Holmes the third and this interpretation of Sherlock Holmes is very much kind of a of like Sherlock Holmes from like the like actual books like he has like the kind of usual uh attire with like the hat and the coat and everything and like they have him like talking like a somewhat like British accent in the dub it's like it's like a really bad accent. <laughs> it's a terrible accent, but I I love that episode. I do too, and I love it at the end too. Just kind of spoiling it, but the fun part two is episodic, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like essentially, so that he doesn't lose face in the public, they like sneak um him onto like a like uh, escape truck with Lupin and everyone, so that they don't know that Sherlock Holmes got tied up the entire time by Lupin. Oh, Which is, is just really funny to me. Did did he come across uh, more as a foolish character in the story, or was he a good uh, balance to the cleverness of Lupin? Do you think? Uh, he's kind of a doofus. Yeah, he, he was more of a doofus and kind of he, he was mainly arrogant, I'd say. And the yeah. thing is, like they don't really try to depict Sherlock Holmes as very intelligent in either episode, in episode fifteen especially, like. The whole gag of it is that for most of the episode, uh, Lupin is disguised as Sherlock Holmes the third. And at the beginning of the episode, <laughs> like essentially Sherlock Holmes had been tied up and just was like somewhere in this like facility while like Lupin was trying to steal like a jewel. Yeah. The and then like in something, a, some, some kind yeah, of 
it was like a diamond ruby, some oh, type okay. of thing. Okay. But then uh, in like Dracula's tear. Oh. Yeah, Dracula's tear. But then in episode ninety seven, the the take on Sherlock Holmes the Third there is like very drastically different because like that version Holmes is like working for the government to steal like Lupin's grandfather's treasure. And, like, he's hired these group of assassins to try to kill Lupin. And this version is, like, also not very... I think this is, like, a very, like, loose interpretation of Sherlock Holmes. Because, like, for one thing, he doesn't show much intelligence. And, two, he's kind of very... He's very antagonistic and not... He he doesn't have many good qualities to him. Mm-hmm. He, he's less of a rival and more of just kind of a goon. Was uh, the character written into the manga as well, or was this just something that appeared in the anime? So I'm sure there is a Lupin manga chapter out there that has Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. What's interesting actually about episode 97 is that even though it's actually loosely based off of three chapters of the manga, Mm -hmm. but in the manga version, they use like a different character that's like a president to like attempt to assassinate Lupin, but I guess they didn't want to use a president for the anime, so they switched it to Holmes the Third, which is a, a strange choice because those are very different characters. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess whatever works. Yeah. So I, I feel like after I rewatched actually both of these episodes today, and after that, I, I really do feel like. Part six's interpretation of Sherlock Holmes is a far better depiction than anything shown in part two. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. It's certainly a better yeah. Holmes by all accounts. Yeah, like, I enjoy the part two episodes, but they're 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 goofy. They're meant to make you laugh. Oh, they're they're very goofy. Yeah, it's part two. It's it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah, it's the Looney Tunes of Lupin. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it kind of is. I, I, I can appreciate that, but I have a lot more fun with the whole adventuresome, you know, clever thief, crazy plot twist version of Lupin that we've seen in the past two, three seasons. Oh, absolutely. Uh, parts four and five are definitely my favorite parts. Yeah. Uh, I like it six quite a bit, too, so. I, I have mixed opinions on six. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there so, are I, there are some issues I have with it, but I, I'm having fun though. Yeah. Well, actually, that's a perfect segue to get right into it. So, uh, just as a as a brief recap, as I always say, but I promise this will actually be brief. Uh, the the story where it focuses on the Sherlock Holmes story begins with Lupin's old rival Albert de Andrassy attempting to steal a poster while in disguise as Lord Faulkner. Thanks to the brilliance of Sherlock Holmes, is who we're, we are introduced to right away, he's arrested by Inspector Lestrade. Lestrade is also a traditional Holmesian character um, and was the, the uh, detective of um, in London. Yes. Anyway. Yeah, he was the most seen of the Inspector characters in the, in the Sherlock Holmes novels. Like, he's the most recurring one. Yes. So Holmes, we learn, was formerly very active with his detective work, but has since withdrawn... Uh, which is revealed mostly to be due to him acting as a guardian slash foster parent to this tenacious little girl named Lily. Meanwhile, Albert attempts to escape, is shot, and in the meantime is rescued by Lupin and his crew, though the poster he was attempting to steal 
is torn in half, with Lupin retrieving one half and the London police obtaining the other. Uh, during interrogation, the real Lord Faulkner uh, is, is asked about the poster. A bomb goes off and Lord Faulkner is killed. Lupin and his crew's interest in the affair is primarily due to this rumor of a great treasure from a mysterious and sinister organization called the Raven, which is said to have some control over all of Britain at some point in history or currently, or it's a little unclear because of the mysterious and sinister nature of the organization. Um, but we do know that, that this poster is somehow a clue to this treasure. So as all of this these explosions and, of course, Zenigata appearing and all these things are happening. Uh, Lily comes comes uh, onto the scene and she sees Lupin. She screams and she faints. Uh, Holmes reveals to Lestrade as Lupin is getting away that he's going to capture Lupin and he makes the bold statement that he was responsible for the death of his partner Watson, who we've learned is also Lily's father. Holmes then tracks down Lupin and his crew at their hideout, and there is this explosive confrontation where he's able to match each of their incredible skills, much to the dismay of Goemon and Jigen. Who is I Nino. love this. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun scene. That um, is Holmes being the most Holmes in the entire part so far. I think. Yeah, he's like a savant. He does all the things—the sword fighting, the gun fighting. You know, um, that's actually. It actually fits him quite well. I mean, he, he was always a uh, a good fighter, too. So That's true. He was not just an armchair detective. Forgive the expression. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> while this, during all of this, uh, Lily reveals that she has this memory of seeing Lupin standing over the body of her father holding a gun. So moving on, we get a backstory of of what occurred as Lupin recounts the tale to Zenigata, or at least who he thinks is Zenigata. Um, and he tells the history, his history with Holmes. Um, Holmes was investigating Raven, or the Raven. I'm not quite sure if it's a proper noun or not, but Raven, when a former member is offered, has offered to the police to turn informant. And his name is Horatio Clover. And it's okay if you forget it because it's not relevant after this moment. He escapes police custody um, and in the process is shot by a raven assassin. Watson and Lupin both witness the shooting, though presumably Lupin doesn't see the face of the assassin. Uh, we sort of are able to deduce that Watson did see the face and he was with his daughter and exited a vehicle and followed the assassin out because he thinks he recognized him. Uh, this led to Watson himself being killed. Holmes comes across the scene and take, decides to take Lily into his care, but orders Lupin to stay away from her in order to protect her from Raven and possible revenge from the assassin or the organization. Meanwhile, while this whole story is being told by uh, Lupin to Zenigata, um, they're being shot at by a deadly sniper sent by someone called the Professor to kill Holmes. And it just appears Gee, that, who could that be? <laughs> yeah, Lupin just got in a way. I actually kind of like this is pretty clever. It's a way to have storytelling time, but have it be active and something else going on rather than just do the traditional, like, let's go back in time and tell a story. I thought this was a fun way to, to do that. Yeah, that's a fun way, although we will be doing that here in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, in attempting to track down the assassin of Faulkner, who 
you know, was killed earlier in the bomb and deduced the clues behind the poster, um, Lupin and subsequently Sherlock Holmes and Lily and Lestrade, a couple of them, they all gather into this mysterious black room of Faulkner's. Uh, realizing that sunlight is the key through some conversations of Faulkner's habits, Lupin then dramatically removes the curtains. But just as he does that and this activates this kind of machine of light, the room explodes. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone gets out safely, and we learn it's not the room or the poster, but it's the cheap ring, and that's the key to this whole unraveling this whole mystery. The ring leads to a secret passageway which houses Raven's quote-unquote treasure, which turns out to be a room full of unexploded World War II blitz bombs. Suddenly there's a commotion in which Holmes and Lupin confront each other and appear to shoot each other. Um, as Holmes lays injured from his gunshot wound, Lily looks over at him and then Lestrade and has this moment of recognition when she realizes it was him who was there the night her father was murdered and the man that was recognized. Um, Holmes and Lupin then shed their ruse and accuse Lestrade of working for Raven all along. Joke's on him, though, because the bombs are duds and Raven has no actual power. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is my... This is my... I, I, I'm not as upset as I was when I first saw it, because I've got a friend who's really into Holmes, and I, yeah. I kind of gave him a minor spoiler on, on you know, who the killer, because I turned in the first episode of Part 6. It's kind of obvious. It, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, definitely. But I, I, I'm just like, Lestrade? Really? But according to him, it, it's not as unlikely as you'd think, but it, it is something where he'd really have to be like, believe this is the best way forward. Not personally, but for the nation, for the like the better good of everyone. Yeah, he like suicides out or something. It was He does. And he says something like, I've sacrificed everything for this godforsaken cause. So putting that together with what my friend said, it does kind of match, but it's still a really weird flex. Yeah, that entire no scene pathos. is just so dumb though. Like yeah. he just Jumps into the water and blows himself up. Like it's it's a really weird choice to have Lestrade kill Watson. I, I, I mean, ultimately, this is all its own version of these characters. But you know, you you're bringing in these characters because people have familiarity with them. This is my exception of most of them feel pretty close. If, none of them are one to one, but I don't expect that. But this one's like really what? Yeah, I mean, as someone who is not a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, like. Even just the fact that it's so obvious in the earlier episodes, just based off of the character design mm-hmm. in the flashbacks, it's like, for one thing, it's not surprising. And just the resolution of it all is very anticlimactic because, like, yeah. they just reveal, oh, Lestrade's the killer. And then yeah. he just runs away and blows himself up and it's the end. It was Agatha all along. Yeah. And the whole Raven side story felt like such a letdown. Really? It really did. It's just like, oh, by the way, this whole thing we've been building up. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh-huh. It's nothing. I, and you could do that and make that work, but th- there was no foreshadowing that it was nothing. It was just like a sudden reveal. I think the part that really confused me was the the misdirection stuff, but that led to nowhere. I mean, misdirection's common, but they put all this fuss about the poster being important. Didn't really yep. explain that at all. Just said, it's not important. And then we we're just supposed to accept that. Then we're in the room and they spend all this time talking about how the room is a clue. And then it explodes and we're like, well, that's not the real clue either. 
oh, it's the, the it's the, like, it didn't really follow or flow as these clues were non-clues or red herrings. It, it just, yeah. It, it, the misdirection it, there was really frustrating because I really wanted the poster to be important, damn it. It seemed really cool the first episode. It did really seem cool, and it, even if it wasn't the, the ultimate MacGuffin, it should have led more than it did. Yeah. Because otherwise, uh, why do we care about the stupid poster all this time? It literally didn't do anything. It was completely pointless, but everyone thought it had a value. Why? Yeah. It's so frustrating, too, because I feel parts four and five did such a great job of having these really well-thought-out sequential stories. And then we have here where everything feels like it's just a throwaway. You have all this yeah. like build up for ideas and then it's like, oh, this wasn't important. This wasn't important. And here's just a resolution that was obvious from the beginning. I mean, I, ha- I, I if I'm being honest, I had a lot of fun along the ride. So I can't like say it was awful, but yeah. there's a it could have been it, it could have been better. It could have been a lot better if they put more thought into, OK, so we want to have this misdirection. How do you you know, they, they, they could have plotted it out a lot better and make it a more interesting misdirection other than, oh, actually, this doesn't matter for no particular reason. Yeah, no, I agree. I, like, but at the same time, I feel like I enjoyed a lot of the standalone episodes oh, more than oh, the yes. Holmes Raven storyline, just because like th- there wasn't much to invest in. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I enjoyed the 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 flashback episodes where we you know flashback to you know protecting young Willie and everything. Those are some interesting episodes. Okay, th- those ones are good, but I I also feel like. They don't really count in the main story because it's just involving. Well, one of them has turned out to be the origin of, of a very important character. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, because that that episode is actually my favorite episode of the batch. I, I, I it's not my favorite. It's my second favorite. My favorite is the one that makes absolutely no sense, and I love it anyway. But we'll get to that probably <laughs> in a minute here, because well, Kuro and I spent like a few minutes last night on Messenger yeah. going, "Oh my god, this episode." Yeah. Well, I mean, so so one of the things that I liked was the hook. The first episode oh, throws you right hook. into so much of a potential storyline. You have a perfect character. You have a potential setup where Lupin may be or may not be a murderer. I mean, we, the audience, always assume he's innocent, but... Of you course know, he's, he's not. He's not, but it, it could have... It looked like yeah. it could have been. Yeah, it, and, and you, that have, was, was you cool. have that, that strong... Um, scene that intense scene where uh, both Goemon and Jigen are confronted and they're matched with their skills which is something they all they have not actually it's almost never occurred I think you know only in a handful of other episodes it's and those very, are very rare specific incidences yeah and so so they're matched and I thought oh wow this is amazing so you know th- and then you have this mysterious organization and the potential for it to be like like in the previous season where we had Albert trying to take over France, like, okay, is this something like that? Or even with the Italian adventure and attempting to take over the Italy. Italian like, dream. Yeah, you like you love a, a you love an obnoxious supervillain with dreams far beyond his reach. And, you know, the Raven sounded just perfect. Like, okay, yeah, this is something I can go with. And then it it feels a little bit to me like they had a change in writers or something. Yeah, or something I could see happened that. to the original writer because the change in story was 
it, it was so unexpected. And again, it was such a letdown. It, it was very anticlimactic. After such a promising buildup, I, I just didn't know how to respond to that except be, you know, really, this is this is the best we could do after everything you you set us up for? That's the treasure, unexploded bombs. <laughs> yeah, the payoff was definitely not the best. It, it, it's a fun ride. I, 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 st- I would still recommend it, but it, oh, compared to what they could have done, yeah. it is such a letdown. Yeah. If yeah, you, I mean... Go on, go on. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, since you mentioned, like, change of writers. So the writers did change between, like, part five and part six, but they also changed between part four and part five. Mm-hmm. What is, I think, more interesting is that actually the director changed. Between, oh. like, because part four and part five have the same director. I believe uh, Yuichiro Yano. Um, for part six, they switched over to uh, A.G. Suganuma. And while I don't think the direction is necessarily bad in part six, you can definitely tell it's not as tightly developed. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the, the feeling is like, oh, did the writer change in the middle of part six? Because suddenly we're telling it. We, we, we set up something and then we did something else entirely mm-hmm. different. Yeah. So, and, and, like, I guess the other thing, too, is, like, the writers actually do change partway through part six, but they change it, like, episode 13. Oh, so the second half of the, this part is written by a completely different person. Speaking of, an interest of season the part five to part six, interesting choice to bring back Albert. I was Andre surprised C. to see him again, but I'm actually liking that. I, I Just the same way I like seeing uh, Rebecca again at the end of part five. Yes. I like that Albert's here. I love it. I, yeah, I wish Albert had more to do, though. I, well, yes. And he, he his his participation kind of makes sense with the what we learn initially about Raven, like the secret organization trying to control all Britain. It fits his M.O. with trying to control all of France. And he just thought, well, that failed, so I'm going to move on to Britain and this treasure okay. will help me do it. And I thought, okay, we could, so then this will, maybe this will be a three, a trifecta, like a, a, a three-person, you know, plot where we have Albert against Lupin against Holmes. But no, that it, it just fell flat completely. They He was just interested in embarrassing the UK, pretty much. Yeah, I don't know, what was mm-hmm. he even doing there? <laughs> he, he, he said something to the effect of it'd be great if we could just, you know, rub the UK's face in their Raven problem. But why that the was poster? What did I miss? Did I miss oh, something about God, the poster? Oh, God, I don't know. I, I don't under... Okay, I don't mind the poster didn't end up being anything. What I mind is, okay, but then what, what... Why was everyone after the poster? It literally didn't matter. Why was... If the poster was, was not supposed to be a big deal, everyone thought it was a big deal because the guy was being all secret, secret about it. But if it didn't matter, why was he being secret, secret with it? Yeah. Well, there was no... I remember them saying in the beginning that it was unique. There was no other version or copy of this poster in existence. And and that was sort of what, what was the draw to it, like, that it's uniqueness. And I thought, okay, so you know, some kind of treasure map as a part of it. Um, yeah, no, and that, and that would have made sense. That's that's why I thought it was going with it as well. But no, no, it just, we, we just tear it apart. It's fine. No, but if you're going to have a red herring, red herrings have to be purposeful. Like, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Clue the movie, and they make this yep. joke throughout every, every ending you pick, if you watch it or if you watch all of them, they say, like, communism was just a red herring. But the, the point of that what? being, it's, it's yes. very, very funny. 
the, 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 in the storyline, you see you see the murders being committed, and each of the thing that connects the characters is they have some weird connection to communism somehow, but it turns out to be completely irrelevant. And that's how you use a red herring, you know? This is not how you use a fucking red herring, damn it. This like, is just wanted to have it be like, aggravating. <laughs> if you wanted to have some fun with this thing, you could be like, all right, well, this was actually something that was trying to lure people who were snipping, snooping around about Raven, trying to get them to grab it so that we could put you into a trap. Sure. That could work. That could work. But no, no, Raven doesn't exist really. So it, it, it really doesn't make any sense. We do get a little war- we do get a little bit of warning of that because we do have that one episode where the guy who works for the professor or doctor or whatever um, he, he's uh oh yeah no 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 Raven's the past man so we got a little bit of foreshadowing for that at least yeah but, but that still doesn't explain oh okay but what about the poster no and the room I still don't understand the point of the room but um. The what? room seems to literally just be, I have a death drop. Ha 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 I didn't get that. Maybe I missed something. I don't get. I, I don't get it either. I think one thing that that was very interesting was the character of Lily, and there is this. Lupin has this protective yet distant relationship with her, reminiscent of his previous relationships with Ami and Clarice. He serves as the gallant protector at a distance. Um, and I, I was curious to know what you guys thought of it, V-Lord. What did you think of Lily as a character? I liked Lily in concept. I just wanted her to do more. Like, going into part six, I was expecting her to be, like, the Ami-Rebecca-type character. Mm-hmm. And she really isn't that, because she's not around enough to have enough development to be, like, those previous, like, fifth member characters. So it, it kind of just like a bit too early for that because we have a whole half of the show left. Well, as far as I know, though, I don't think she does that much in the second half. Oh, uh, it's too bad. And for the and and just for reference, when I said Clarice, I was referring to the um, Castle of Cogliostro, where he does sort of the same thing, where like oh yeah, the protector. I mean, yeah, yeah. Lupin has has protected many a damsel. That that is something he does. It's like a Bond girl. He gets a Lupin. Yep, there are Lupin girls. Exactly. I've actually used that phrase non-ironically referring to this exact thing. I mean, there's also one in, in Lupin the Third, the first as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Feral de Nostradamus has one too. A lot of the Lupin specials have them. It's kind of just a common thing at this point. It is, but it works because, you know, you have the outsider who's kind of innocent and you get you kind of get the, the, the heart of gold out of Lupin out of it because he's, I mean, throwing a throwback to part four. Yeah, we'll steal a car to, to get some jewels. Oh, crud. They, uh, they, there's human traffic going on here. No, no, we, we don't stand for that around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think this ties back to something that I really liked about Part 4 and Part 5 that I feel Part 6 isn't doing as well, is that in those, the Lupin girls, like, say in this case, Rebecca and Ami, they had a lot more agency than, say, other Lupin girls in the past. Like, mm-hmm. they, they actually developed. They had character arcs. And... You could say Lily does develop in this first half of the show, but I don't think it's that much. It's not that much, although, to be fair, she is a much younger character, so what she can and can't do is a lot more restricted. There's just not enough time put into developing her, though. 
in other series. I don't think her being young is an excuse not to develop her. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I meant I was more referring to her ability to do things. Like I, it seems like she's trying to do everything she can, but there's a lot that you know. The rest of the characters are like, no, 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 you're a child. Don't do that. Well, yeah, I don't need her to like rob a bank or anything. I just wanted her to have more <laughs> focus. <laughs> no, I get you. I get you. And I, I, I like to see. I'm hoping, and, and hearing that that's not the case makes me sad. But I am hoping we get a little bit more with our uh, our new version of uh, Moriarty being much more closely tied to her in the story. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, because right at the very end, um, Lupin, you know, everybody kind of has their happily ever after moment in terms of Lily and uh, Sherlock, and then this this figure walks up and introduces himself, gives his name as. As James Moriarty, um, he's he's quite young looking, and he and then he int- he goes and passes Lupin. They have an encounter, and they agree to stay out of each other's way, which I think is really interesting, especially because Moriarty's a child. You know, he, he may have been thirteen at most. Um, well, it's implied it's the kid that helped them do the body double for uh, for the earlier flashback episode. I didn't pick that up before i i did get though he's the professor that ordered the assassination of holmes well they, there was a recognition yeah, I, I didn't between think about him that. i didn't think about it either until laser brought it up earlier i was like oh wait yeah that probably is him that that i mean i could be full of it i could be absolutely full it's not said in text yeah. but gosh darn it it looks like that's what they're going with it, and i think that's really interesting if that's well, he, the case he was a brunette and moriarty is this lush blonde so yeah, maybe maybe it isn't him then. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I well, like wrong. I said, maybe I'm just full of it. Maybe that has nothing. Maybe it's, it's a, a fun theory. Me. I'm not trying to kill your dreams. It's a fun theory. <laughs> I'm just explaining why really I didn't just, make that connection. Oh, no, I could be very wrong. I, eh. If that's the case, that is a weird ass uh, uh, origin story for you to go from being a rescuer to like being the head of a criminal syndicate. I'm not really though because he, he he if you go to that flashback episode towards the end he's a kind of enamored with the, the gunman life of uh, of Jigen and I could see that making someone decide well I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go in that route then yeah does that equate to like trying to murder Holmes though I'm not sure if like the two and two like match up well I don't know. And again, I could very much be wrong. This, this is going to just be my crack theory that doesn't go anywhere. But that—that that is what I'm seeing. But uh, who knows? Hey, we're nothing if we weren't for our if we were here for our crack theory. So Paul is a big fan of the crack theory. <laughs> so oh I yes, appreciate that. That he is. That he is. Well, okay. So I think the overall assessment is it was a promising concept that fell flat. Um, I still love the idea of Sherlock Holmes being written into the story for the reasons I've stated. Um, and I hope if they revisit it, they do a better job with this and develop it more. But sure, you know, there were other elements to this series, though. There was, if the you know, I, I'd say only about six episodes were devoted to this arc, and then the other six were devoted to episodic um, stories. And they, they were quite interesting. I think the one that stands they out... They were definitely the best. Yeah. Um, Go on. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the best stories were the standalones yeah. so far. They, and... they were the, the adventure and treasure and all that jazz. That that was what really, I think, when you're watching it, I mean, after you get the hook from the Sherlock Holmes and then you go into 
which is a little confusing, but also typical, these one-offs, they were actually still fun stories to follow. It left me kind of wanting them to be longer. For example, the um, the the, the weird-ass angel one, which I still <laughs> kind of obsessed with. Yeah. <laughs> that one was so weird, but then I was looking up who wrote that episode, and guess who it was? Oh, no. Uh, who, who wrote it? Mamoru Oshii. <laughs> Of course, Mamoru Oshii wrote that. Yeah, he also wrote uh, episode four, the one where it's like all the killers in the diner. I also love that episode quite a bit. So fun fact about that one, it's actually a recreation of the story that they mention, The Killers by Ernest Hemingway. And I thought that was really clever that they're playing out the same story that they're talking about. Is it, is it yeah, little, it's, it's super cool. It is pretty cool. But yeah, the the, the angel one. So for for better context, it's, you know... Um, Fujiko is asked to steal a fossil that relates to, it's a fossil of a bird. Um, that the Archaeopteryx. Is, yeah, the Archaeopteryx, which which she's told may or may not be a fake because it com- appeared conveniently. And there's very rare um, fossils of feathers. And I went down this massive rabbit hole of like <laughs> Reddit and Twitter and all, not Twitter, but like research and into feathered fossils and turned out into this up into this very niche aspect of like archaeology trying to understand this aspect but but when we say the angel it kind of is implied you know when they're stealing it lupon appears i thought until like i was i went back and read a reread a recap but i watched the episode again last night i thought that the lupon who turns all weird in the episode when they go and find the 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 other other fossil, when, when like they the, find totally not Satan the fossil, yeah, like, <laughs> like I didn't think that was actual Lupin. I thought that that was that was Mikhail in disguise. It, 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 we say Mikhail. It's it's Archangel Michael. Let's be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> see, I couldn't tell if Lupin was just like playing along with it. Or if it was see, actually at not first, Lupin. At first, I thought Lupin was playing along with it, but then it just suddenly shifts for no reason back to the, the thing. It's just like, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm just like, oh shit, something just went down. And then he's just like, hey, you want to take the job? No, nah, I'm an atheist, so I don't take jobs from God. Bye! I don't take jobs from <laughs> God. I'm an atheist. <laughs> uh, legitimately one of the best lines I've heard. Fujiko is an atheist ever. confirmed, guys. <laughs> That's a very committed atheist to go, She you identifies know, with atheism. I, you, you are an angel who works for God, and this is clearly right in front of me. I am com- that committed to being an atheist. She is the most committed atheist I've ever heard of. Well, I... Okay, so, but the Lupin going haywire part was very confusing. I was like, I it was, was incredibly convinced confusing. it wasn't him. I was convinced it wasn't him. His eyes changed color. Yep, yep. Was I was convinced weird. it wasn't him also. But see, that's something totally Lupin would do. Uh, it? I, I, I almost, it, it either wasn't him or he got possessed or something. Yeah. Or he just rotted it a really mess with Fuchiko. Well, he, I can see him really wanting to mess with Fuchiko, except, one, how did he make his own eyes glow? And two, how did he, like, teleport Fuchiko to the lobby of the museum? Lupin logic. But, no. But yeah, this is not part two. And then it shifts to the end scene where she's back under her disguise and she gets in the car exactly the way she did at the beginning. So I was kind of left wondering, like, did the whole middle even happen? 
Like, I was so confused in the best way. That's the part that's trippy and confusing about it. But I love it, though. Yeah, Here's the it was the first thing I mentioned to you when I we start, when you were telling me we're gonna do one on part six. I'm like yeah. that episode though. Because it stands out. It is so weird and it is confusing, but it is beautiful. It's fun. Yeah. I mean considering it's Oshi, I feel the whole point is that you don't know and yeah. that ambiguity is what's terrifying about it. Oh yeah, yes. absolutely. I mean it gets it gets some pretty trippy, almost Evangelion vibes from it. Yeah. I, I think that that is, as you know, much as I didn't understand what was happening, I love that part about it. Like the mysterious element of it, the questions you're asking, did it happen? Did it not happen? Was that really Lupin? I think that just makes it a perfect episode in general. And not just for Lupin, I think for any anime, it was just a fun episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The yeah. other interesting thing about that episode, episode four, is that I really like how a good chunk of both of them just take place in one room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, we have an extensive scene of, I am talking about birds. Look at my hair and my anim- and my bird statues. Except for, it's not really there, because it's an abandoned mansion where none of the stuff is actually there. Ha ha ha. And yet you still get a sense of mood, and you still get oh, a sense yeah. of story without having, you know, the scenes change. So that actually makes it really interesting, because that last part of the killers and the last part of um, the, 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 the birds episode is... It, it takes place in another place, but it happens so quickly. The majority of the action is, as you say, happens in one room. It's such a great directorial choice, too, though, because then it makes you focus on other elements of storytelling. Well, and that room is so disconcerting, the oh, way it's yeah. set up. Yeah. It, is, it just screams there's something wrong. It sets the stage for everything that happens after that's all cre- creepy and trippy. You have that room is in the back of your head going, what the heck? Especially when you go, oh, it didn't. it's not real. It doesn't exist. Also, um, what is the deal with people in taxidermy? Like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> This really needs to stop being a thing. <laughs> it's just not okay. It's weird. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's it's a little weird. Um, yeah. The other the other um, the other off episode was a two parter. The Imperial City of Dream. The Imperial City Dreams of Thieves. And there was it was part one and two. Okay. Was it just me, or was there something familiar about this concept of being thrown into this other it, situation and not knowing what's going on? It did seem really familiar, but I couldn't place my finger on it. Me neither. And it frustrated me. This one frustrated me more than the home story frustrated me, because I desperately wanted this to go somewhere, and then it didn't. I, I spent an hour looking at past episodes of Lupin, reading every synopsis, thinking this was a past episode of Lupin, but I couldn't find one. So I just, I swear that I'd seen this play out before. Where, it does feel very familiar. Yeah, where a character, maybe it wasn't Lupin, maybe it was a different Toonami show, where a character's <clears throat> playing out this whole thing, and then it turns out it was all virtual or something like that. Very well could be. I don't know. I'm trying to think about it actually because like I'm sure there's been Lupin episodes like this before Yeah. like I, I know the, the guy that wrote this uh, Taco Ashibe he's like a mystery writer primarily so th- this was kind of interesting because like it's not really a mystery story I guess, though I guess the mystery is like why are they in the world 
but it was, I found them like enjoyable episodes. But it definitely felt like vaguely familiar, and like at first I wasn't sure if like, oh, is this gonna be connected to the main plot or is this just a standalone thing? What what exactly is going on here? Oh yeah, for a while I I expected it to connect to the plot too, and I guess that might have been part of my uh, letdown. Of no, it's just a random thing that occurred. I didn't mind, um, but did anyone catch the Akechi Holmes reference? Akechi was the name of the detective. Um, yeah, I didn't catch before. that. <laughs> it seems to be a kind of a detective name in Japanese stories. Like there was there was an Akechi character who was was the Japanese response to Sherlock Holmes. Um, but also there was an Akechi in part three, I believe. Is that correct? Is that correct, Lord? Like there was another there was an Akechi in another Lupin. And then they brought him back here, which I thought was pretty clever, just incorporating this element into the story. Yeah, there's like a, what's his name? Kogoro Akechi? But that's from like the Lupin pilot film, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, it all turns out to be this woman's need to relive something thing and then and then they're trying to get the part about them trying to get the password to his to his hideout that's the part that felt really familiar to me I think it wasn't just the dream or virtual thing it was this whole scenario set up in order to get Lupin to reveal the password to his hideout that felt really familiar to me there there, that is something that kind of shows up in Lupin the third the first not the first um uh, episode zero sorry Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. Maybe that's what I was thinking about. Maybe. That actually might be it. That might be why we're all feeling very familiar. I just, I I don't actually remember, because I haven't seen all of them like you all have, but I still felt that. It's, I don't I haven't seen them all either. I'm I'm slowly building out my, my movie collection for Lupin. Even I have my Lupin gaps, unfortunately. Wait, what? <laughs> you have a Lupin Gibbs? There, there are some what? Lupin specials that I haven't watched yet. Oh god! Mainly the ones I... the discotheque hasn't picked up. Yeah, yeah that's. I, 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 I I'm prioritizing uh, with with uh, Lupin. I'm going for TV show dubcasts. Then I'm gonna go eventually pick up those Funimation specials, and then when I've uh, run out of dub Lupin, that's when I'm gonna go into the sub Lupin. Yeah, I mean, as far as discotheque Lupin goes, I have all the discotheque Lupin releases. Aside from because their release of Fujikomine, but I have the Funimation release of Fujikomine. Wait, you like a woman called Fujikomine? I've never heard this before from you ever. It's it's my Never, favorite. Ever. This is the first time you ever said that ever on this podcast. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it has so never shy. been said before. <laughs> it's, a, it's a revelation. No uh, one. Would I do need also, to watch that. You've talked about it so much. I keep. I I have it on my list. You know, my, the the eternal backlog. Um, but I am. I I want to watch it just because of the the number of times you've mentioned it and how great it is. So, it's such a different interpretation of Lupin mm-hmm. that it's just magically amazing yeah i remember when it was first coming out i hadn't seen any lupon since part two and i was very just put off by it but i might have a better time with it these days i'm sure it's nothing to do with all the nudity right guys right 
No comment. <laughs> I mean, the nudity has a thematic purpose. That's all I'll say. I was expecting uh, Lupin Looney Tunes, and I did not get Lupin Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's definitely not Lupin Looney Tunes. It's more oh, like I know. on trauma. Okay, so the other the other episode from this season that I really liked was the Jet Black Diamond. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, was a fun, fun one. It was That fun. was a good one. It's such a perfect Lupin story. Uh, you know, where there's there's actual treasure involved and, and he has to track it down and you see this this backstory where he's trying to get this doll and the doll's a part of the map and then there's this woman this called Cherry uh. and she's luring it, like all of it. Everything about it was just, just perfect and I thought this could be like three episodes, seriously. Oh yeah, that could have been amazing. Uh, I loved how, because he was, I did like the connection to the overall story in this one because Lupin wasn't really there for most of it. He was kind of droned there because he's trying to watch over Lily. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really cool. But I thought it was a nice touch. Um, It also let Fujiko do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, The other interesting thing about that episode, too, it's another one that's written by like a a guest writer, uh, Kanae Minato, who's like a award winning, like a crime fiction thriller writer in Japan. I think a few of her books have even been like released in English. Oh, so I what I'm hearing that. here is that the best episodes of part six are guest writers. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the takeaway here. <laughs> Don't care about the main plot. Go watch the side story episodes. <laughs> now I want to read this this Japanese thriller writer. I'm thinking um, I'm going to have to 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 see what's been translated into English until all I right. Send time to go hit up the chat. Right? I was going to say time to go hit up Bookwalker. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, okay, and I feel I feel bad for saying this because, again, I love the concept of Sherlock Holmes, but I think you're right. The guest writers did a much better job of storytelling. And they did play to the strengths of the characters, but brought something fun and unique to the story and, and, and providing their own twists, but added that whole element of adventure that we have been loving to see in the past three parts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and see, uh, that's the brilliance of Lupin. It's not about continuity. It's about showing these different interpretations of the characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what every interpretation of Lupin, whether it's bad or good, does right on its own merit. It's showing these unique takes. Um, and I, I kind of wish that we'd have more episodes like these, just because it, it shows us a different side of the characters that certain writers aren't going to displayed because it's not in their kind of writing style well that's been the strength of the last three parts including this one obviously um they have time to do little minor stories between the big story and that's been fun that's been a winning formula for a while now yeah we have a we have a master storyline and we have little stories and they all kind of mix in various ways but it lets you do different interesting things um even with my disappointment of the main story on this one, though, it's not all. It's not a horrible story. It's just, eh, but it's not bad. No, but but I like yeah. this season for the reasons we've stated. I oh I yeah, enjoyed... no, these bonus episodes have been the, the highlights. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to get each episode, and that's kind of the whole appeal for me. I never know like whether it's going to be episodic, whether it's going to be a, a development of an arc. I'm still like. Okay. Oh yeah, I like this. Like it's yeah. it's kind of one of these 
Lupin's kind of one of these things that creeps up on you and you're like, oh, I enjoy watching this. That's right. That's how I feel, at least. Oh, gosh, that happens to me all the time. Like, I actually <laughs> fell behind on part six for a while before we were going to record this. I'm like, <laughs> okay, time to that. watch these. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I'm still behind. I haven't seen anything past uh, episode 12 yet. There's I need to. I just... other episodes, so <laughs> you're not oh, that good. far behind. <laughs> I'm not that far behind then. All right. Yeah. But, uh I, I'm really interested to see, because I don't think they're done with Sherlock Holmes, if I'm being honest. You would you made this big deal about part six being about Sherlock Holmes and Lupin. They're not going to do only half the show with Sherlock Holmes. That would be dumb. I suspect we'll get more, and I'm really hoping they do better with it. Uh, maybe. I mean, I think I don't think that's the end of Holmes. Um, I think that's the end of this. It's the end of the the Raven storyline, sure. Yeah, I think he he made a pretty definitive statement, like a a by Felicia kind of, you know, I'm done with London. I think he straight up said, I'm I'm done with London. And then and that was the end of the episode. And I was like, oh, okay, so so he's he's done with London. That was that. See, I'm hoping that Holmes is in the second half. But considering that the main plot for the second half is written by a completely different person, I I, kind of doubt it. (laughs) That would be really dumb, to be honest. But, I mean, hey, we'll see how we feel about that when we get there, I guess. Ladies and gentlemen, and all who are non-binary, we are in a very rare moment where all three of us have not seen the next episodes. I cannot believe this is happening, guys. <laughs> this true. has never happened before. No, it's usually it's... some one or all of us are like, oh, yeah, we're well ahead. No, yeah. no. I can't laugh in manga this time because this is not just <laughs> not <laughs> manga. No. Uh, I, I could jump ahead if I really wanted to because I have high dive, but I, I don't want to watch this without the dub. This don't dub do is that. Amazing. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. No. Yeah. Like, it's and, amazing. And, and that, that is something like, we haven't really talked go about. Go ahead without the dub. I've already started it with the dub. I need to finish it with the dub. Yes. The, 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 the modern Lupin cast has been amazing. It, that, that's not a surprise at this point. It's kind of expected. I probably would have liked this less without them, if I'm being honest. I disagree because I really love the Japanese cast for Lupin. Okay. But... That, that, and if you if that's the case, then yes, I could see that working. But for me, I, the, the attachment I have is to this specific cast. But my, the, the point I'm trying to make is... The, the best parts of Part 6 story main storyline is the delivery from the voice cast they do amazing work yeah i'd agree i I can agree with that the voice cast we completely forgot to talk about episode zero which is supposed to be a tribute to jigen's japanese voice actor kiyoshi kobayashi and and this was a jigen focused episode it had to do with him and his relationship with Gunfighting and the his and partner, his gun. Yeah, yeah. What did you guys think of episode zero? I liked it. Um, I had fun with it, but having since seen um, God, what's the name of the movie? Um, Goodbye Partner. It feels like a miniature version of Goodbye Partner. V Lord. I mean, I, I feel they're very different types of stories because I feel the appeal of episode zero 
is um, mainly kind of being that send-off for Kobayashi. I, I think okay. maybe people that... that, that to- see, I didn't catch that, so that that's probably my problem right there. So, like, I, I think maybe people that mainly watch the dub might be aware of this, but, like, Kobayashi was the last member of, like, the original Lupin Part 1 cast that was still voicing his character. Yeah. Wow. Everyone else had passed away or had retired. Kobayashi was the last guy of the main, like, quartet. That's including almost 50 Zangata. years of doing that is, character. It, yeah, that, that is absolutely nuts. In a yeah, good and way, though. And when you look at a lot of that dialogue, it makes sense then why it's, like, talking about all these ideas. Oh, Jigen's done. He's kind of become too old. He's kind of, like, he, he doesn't want to deal with kind of the modern times of everything. And it's a reflection that, like, Kobayashi's had this very long career in voice acting. He's done roles outside of Jigen, obviously. Like, he's been in, like, Death Note, uh, Star of the Giants, Space Adventure Cobra. And it's like, this is kind of, was his last hurrah. Just kind of saying farewell to the character and kind of just setting it aside. And I think, from that perspective, I found the episode, like, really sweet. And I think it... I think it might work a lot better also in Japanese when you listen to it. Cause like Kobayashi's literally voicing Jigen for the last time in that. Well, in this case it's Epcar in the dub and Epcar's obviously voicing it for the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, that would probably add a lot of levels to it that I didn't get out of it. Um, I was just like, Hey, it's Jigen. This is cool. Now I didn't mean that in what I said as an attack on the episode. It was fine. It was fun. I, it just felt like a spotlight on Jigen, but to a lesser degree than Goodbye Partner, which is a huge spotlight on Jigen. Yeah, I mean, I think I like Goodbye Partner because, like, yeah, it's exploring kind of Jigen more as a character. But I feel like this was less about exploring Jigen as a character and more being a reflection of uh, a reflection of Kobayashi's career. And, and I can see that with with that information, but. I didn't have that information when I saw it, and I I imagine a lot of other viewers didn't. Yeah, nah, that that makes sense. Yeah, what what a lovely way to pay tribute to someone to have some kind oh, of no, profound, and, and thoughtful storyline that really reflects the person and the character in in a way, and then and then they leave a, a certain amount of ambiguity, but not quite. You know, the character's returning, but you don't see. You just see him. Lupin saying we'll see Jigen again kind of thing it's it's kind of it's kind of lovely and and it took me it took me reading about the context of it being the tribute to Kobayashi to understand and make that connection as well because once I once I saw that I remember going through it and I thought is this supposed to be like there was that one episode with Goemon I think in a previous part where he was like why am I here what do I provide and I thought oh is this the equivalent of that but with the with the added context, I'm like, okay, this makes a lot more sense, and it's a lot more elegant now that I understand that. So I'm glad they did that. It's pretty cool. Pretty oh yeah, cool. no, it's a wonderful thing to do for someone who's been around for that long. Absolutely. We should all have uh, such dedication to our work. <laughs> yeah, I will work. say it is interesting because I did like li- watch the first few episodes of this as a part of the simulcast and like switching from Kobayashi to Otsuka after episode zero is an interesting, interesting change. Cause one thing, uh, Akio Otsuka, 
the new voice of Jigen. He's Bato in Ghost in the Shell in Japanese. Oh my so god! We, wow. He's, ba- he's basically the Epcar equivalent. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Well, I love it when little coincidences like that happen between American and uh, Japanese cast. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we uh, call it a podcast, guys? For as much as we complain about it, it's an enjoyable ride, and I'd still recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) this is probably my least favorite main series Lupin, but it's still Lupin, and Lupin's good. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't know where this stands for me in terms of part if I if I'm comparing it the way way you are to main series I'm thinking part four and part five um there's a lot I liked about it the the the, the complaints aside you know I I I loved I loved the one-off storylines that's for sure and if they continue with that pattern of having some of these other writers it, it gave me this this Batman Gotham night feel where you have different mm-hmm. writers doing the interpretation and that is such a great concept to use. And anime is perfect format for that, let's be honest, where you can have a great mixture of episodic and arc storylines and it be still appropriate. And Lupin especially, as as you stated, he's he's someone that he changes and he stays the same and that's what makes him an iconic character. So I, I'm looking forward to the second half. Um, I think, you know, Lupin pretty much noped london so i'm i'm <laughs> confident he's gonna be somewhere else i haven't i don't uh, well i have watched next two episode but i'm not gonna bring that up here because at the time at the time of this recording two other episodes have aired so they've started the next arc but um we will discuss that at a later time so i think it's uh time for some house cleaning guys how about it you can email us about this or any other show or any thoughts or in general what you thought about Lupin the Third Part 6 at podcast at TanamiFaithful.com. You can follow us on Facebook at Tanami Faithful Podcast um, where you can post or read the other fun posts. We post uh, fan art there. Please submit your fan art. I actually really love that and I like to share that with other people. Um and you can add us on Twitter at Toonami Podcast. You can listen to this podcast and every other episode of TFP on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts, you can find this. And it's all for free unless you pay for a subscription, then that's on you. But that's okay too. <laughs> you can stream every episode of the podcast online at soundcloud.com slash Faithful Podcast. You can get the latest news by following us at Toonami News on Twitter. And you can see our news, views, and reviews at ToonamiFaithful.com, including the article I mentioned about Lupin III, The Gentleman Thief, and any other piece by our wonderful editorial writers who are here with me tonight. You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ToonamiFaithful, where you can help us get to some really cool events, get some advanced uh, get some advanced content and get some reveals from press passes. Also, you can get some exclusive content, um, including some interviews from CJ's documentary, What Toonami Means to Me. And I think that's it. So, uh, V-Lord, where can they find you? 
Uh, yeah, people can find me on Twitter at VLORGTZ, and then I write various things for MangaMavericks.com as well as the Tsunami Faithful website. So you can check out my writing over there. And then I do a bunch of podcasts because I don't understand how to spend my free time in a more enjoyable <laughs> the way. Podcast Universe. Yes, the VLORG Podcast Universe. Um, the biggest podcast of which you can find is Demon Slayer Podcast on Twitter at DSlayer Podcast. Um, so you can check that out if you really like Demon Slayer. And then I do a bunch of other podcasts, too. Some about Shaman King, uh, the Dumb Moves podcast, which I do with Laser Kid, and then my uh, other precious baby, Saturday Night Shoggy, which is about Shogakukan anime and manga. So you can check out all those as well. Great. And you just recently attended Otakon, correct? Uh, yes, I did. Um and I'll have some uh, very big interviews for that coming out over on Manga Mavericks. So look out for those. Yes, I, I am I'm rubbing really my hands greedily and excitedly. <laughs> Great. So looking forward to seeing that content. Laser, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LaserKidPrime. You can find uh, much of my writing on Tsunami Faithful. And uh, as Feeler mentioned, I am uh, off on board with the Dumb Weaves podcast, and I'm also usually on the uh, Demon Slayer podcast, too. And sometimes I appear on Shaman King with, with you, occasionally. I think we did one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. And uh, you can find me at Happy Kuro Kitty on Twitter. And please, if you want to share with us your thoughts about this or any season of something ongoing with uh, Toonami, uh, hashtag... Tsunami Talkback. We do read the talkbacks. We just need to have the talkbacks. We care about your talkbacks. We need to have it to read it? Am I am I making a big enough case for the talkbacks yet? This used to be such a great thing. And I loved reading them. I like hearing people's hot takes when they're like, you know, in these single tweets overview and, and they're overviews of, of a of a series because you know here we are talking about our thoughts but the whole point is you know what what do you guys think and make it a conversation so um and again thank you so much for your patience with my hosting as uh sketch is not here tonight and hopefully um you've not all abandoned tfb because of my hosting <laughs> and i think that's a podcast peace and we're out mm-hmm.